section nine of the white wolf and other fireside tales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillercouch. Section 9. King of Prussia. Reported tale of a smuggler, a revenue cutter, and an officious minister. Part 2. Supper over, he and his guests turned their chairs towards the fireplace the king took flint and steel and struck a match lit his pipe and stared at the shavings then dropped the light on the floor ground it out with his heel and puffed away thoughtfully the preacher went on talking render unto caesar tribute to whom tribute is due that applies to king george to-day every bit so much as it did to caesar caesar and king george be two different persons said captain john stopping his pipe with his thumb the principle's the same i don't see it said the captain i read my bible and it says that caesar ordered the whole world to be taxed now that sense caesar didn't go niggling away with the duty on silk here and another on brandy there and another on tea and another on east india calicoes mind you i've got no personal failing against king george but it does annoy me to see a man calling himself king of england and making money in these petty ways it's his birthday to-day put in mrs Geen, though i didn't remember it till i saw the flag on ardevora church tower this morning is it then we'll drink his health ma'am to show there's no animosity captain john fetched a bottle of brandy and glasses and mixed drinks for his guests then he took his seat reached out for flint and steel again and says he very quietly i wish the boys were at home we'd have a bonfire up to walsall that's where i come from said the preacher we always kept up his majesty's birthday with a bonfire and fireworks but you don't seem so loyal in these parts fireworks did you now captain john set down the tinder-box and rubbed his chin well said he going to a cupboard and glancing up on his way at the tall clock as it happens i've a rocket or two here though to be sure it seems like a waste with nobody left in the cove to see or raise so much as a chair it's the spirit of the thing that counts said the preacher they've lain here so long captain john went on in a sort of musing way they may be mildewed for all i know you leave that to me said the preacher i knows all about fireworks there don't seem nothing wrong about this one he said taking it and fingering the fuse may i have a try with em try and welcome i don't understand these things for my part i only know they takes up a lot of room in the cupboard and i'll be glad to see the last of em so out into the night they three went together 
but when they had the rocket fixed captain john was taken that poorly he had to come back and sit in the chair and rub his thighs and his stomach and when sitting there he heard the rocket go up whoosh he had to rub them the harder it went off capital called the preacher popping his head in at the door can't us try another and now captain john had to rub his eyes before turning to him take the lot he said and pushed the whole bundle into the preacher's hands i've king george had a few more friends like you take the lot of em loyal man he fairly thrust him out to door and had to lean a hand there before he could follow feeling weak all over to think of collector wern and his men and what their faces must be like down in the revenue cutter but he had no time to taste the fun of it properly for just then he heard bessie bussow's voice outside asking questions all of a screech the first rocket had fetched her over hot foot and agog and the captain had to run out and stop her tongue and send her home with anne Geen. but they didn't go till the preacher had touched off every single rocket stepping back as they went whoosh whoosh and waving his hat and crying god save the king god save the king cried captain john after him and bessie stood wondering if the end of the world had come or the master had gone clean out of his wits the captain used to try and explain it afterwards when he told the story you've seen a woman in hysterics he'd say and you know how a man feels when he wants to drop work and go on the drink for a week well twasn't exactly one or t'other with me but a little like both i'm a level-headed tradesman and known for such but if ever that chap walks into my house again i'll be wise and go straight out by the back door and put myself under restraint after the women had gone he took the fellow back to the kitchen and sat putting questions to him in a reverent sort of voice and eyeing him as awesome as billy bennett when he hooked the mermaid until the poor creature talked himself sleepy and asked to be shown to his room captain carter saw him to bed came downstairs to the parlour again and spread himself on the sofa for forty winks for between the boat dodging out to sea and the pack-horses waiting ready up at Trano's farm above the hill there was no going to bed for him that night he had been sleeping maybe for two hours when a whistle fetched him to his feet and out of the door like a scout twas nothing more nor less than the boy's arrival signal and this was what had happened when the preacher's first rocket went off the collector down on board the cutter was taking his bit of supper in the cabin at the sound of it he rushed up the companion and found all his crew on deck with their necks cricked back barring one man who that moment popped his head up through the forehatchway what on earth was that he asked a rocket sir said the chief boatman just sent up from prussia cove 
mr wern couldn't find his breath for a moment but when he did twas to say very well john carter i've a got you this time my dandy i don't quite understand how you come to be such a fool but that rocket costs you a hundred pounds and if i'm not mistaken i'll have your cargo pawn top of it the breeze still blew pretty steady and gave orders to stand out into the bay get an offing and keep a sharp lookout as the moon rose he knew that all carter's ordinary craft except the scene boat were quiet at anchor at bessie's cove but he reckoned that the boat had gone out this time to meet and unload a stranger he never dreamed she would be crossing all the way to roscoff and back on her own account he knew too that carter had a spot near mousehole to fall back upon when a landing at prussia cove couldn't be worked so he stood out to put the cutter on a line commanding both places which with the soldier's wind then blowing was easy enough and as she pushed out her nose past cudden point the whole sky began to bang with rockets this puzzled him fairly as carter knew it would and it puzzled the cove boys in the scene boat as they lay on their oars about three miles from shore and discussed the first warning but in one of the flashes captain harry carter who was commanding spied the cutter's sails quite plain under the dark of the land plain enough to see that she was running out free he knew that he couldn't have been seen by her in the heave of the swell for the scene boat lay pretty low with her heavy cargo and he'd given her a lick of grey paint at roscoff by way of extra precaution so thought he a signal's a signal but brother john doesn't know what i know let the cutter stand out as she's going and we'll nip in round the tail of her she can't follow into the cove with her draught even if she spies us and by daybreak we'll have the best part of the cargo landed and so he did muffling oars and crossing over a mile to southward of the cutter and after that weigh all and pull for the cove the preacher at john carter's and mrs Gean at bessie bussow's both woke early next morning but mrs Gean was first by a good hour and what pulled the preacher out of bed was the sound of guns he put his head out of window and could hardly believe it was the peaceful place he'd come upon last evening the beach swarmed with men like emmets near up by high water mark men were unloading a long boat for dear life some passing kegs others slinging them to horses others running the horses up the cliff under his window at first he thought it must be their trampling had woken him out of sleep but the next moment bang the room shook all about him a cloud of smoke drifted up towards him from the ennis point and through it while twas clearing he saw john carter and another man run to the battery and begin to load again with mrs Gean behind them waving a rammer and dancing like a paper woman in a cyclone 
below the mouth of the cove tossed a boatload of men pulling and backing with their heads ducked their faces on a level with their shoulders and all turned back towards the battery while a big red-faced man stood up in the stern sheets shaking his fist and dancing almost as excitedly as mrs Gein. still farther out a fine cutter lay rocking on the swell her bosom swinging and sails shaking in the flat calm the preacher dragged on his clothes somehow tore out of the house and down to the point as fast as legs would carry him what what's the meaning of this he screeched rushing up to captain john who was sighting one of his three little nine-pounders blessed if i know said the captain we was a peaceable lot enough till you and mrs Gein came a-visiting but you too would play hamlet's ghost with a quaker meeting it's my phoby they're after my phoby screamed mrs Gein, and then she turned on the fellow behind captain john it was hosking once a man-of-war's man and now supposed to be teaching her boy the carpentry trade this is what you bring into is it you deceiver you you barefaced villain the man had a beard as big as a furze bush look at the poor lamb up there loadin' the hosses and to think i bore and reared em for this if you let one of they fellows lay hands on my phoby i'll scratch out every eye in your head stand by tim says the captain quietly drat the boat if she keeps bobbiting about like that i shall hit her sure enough bang went the little gun and kicked backwards clean over its carriage the shot whizzed about six feet above the boat and plunged into the heaving swell between it and the cutter bit too near that i don't want to hurt roger Wern, though he do make such tempting ugly faces but what do they want what are they after stuttered the preacher they're after my phoby cried mrs Gein. not a bit of it said captain john good-humouredly from all i can see it's the preacher here they want to call her me screams the poor man me well if you will go letting off rockets i don't know what it costs up to walsall or wherever you come from but down in these parts tis a hundred pound or twelve calendar months the preacher turned white and began to shake all of a sudden like a leaf but i didn't mean i'd had no idea you don't intend to tell me he stammered here tummels captain john hailed a man who came running down to lend a hand with the guns take the preacher here and fix him on one of the horses sling a keg each side of him if he looks like tumbling off sorry to hurry you sir he explained but tis for your good you must clear out of this before the officers get sight of your face and i don't know how much longer i can frighten em off when you get up to trinnell you can cast loose and run and it mayn't be time wasted if you make up an alibi as you go along it don't seem hospitable i grant ye, but as a smuggler you're too enterprising for this little out-of-the-way cove tummels led the preacher away in too much of a daze to answer he opened his mouth but at that moment bang went hosking with another of the guns 
by and by captain john let out a chuckle as he saw the poor man moving up the cliff track swaying between two kegs and clutching at his horse's mane every time tummels smacked the beast on the rump the horse he rode was almost the last by seven o'clock the boys had cleared the whole of their cargo and still the preventive boat hung in the mouth of the cove pulling and backing and waiting for the chance captain john never allowed them you see captain harry having dodged in behind the cutter without being spied had a pretty start with the unloading when day broke mr Wernne, finding no scene-boat or suspicious craft in sight and allowing that there was no fear of another attempt before nightfall had stood down again for prussia cove meaning to send in a boat for the cutter drew too much water and have it out with captain carter about the rockets you can fancy his face when he came abreast the entrance and found the boys working like a hive of bees as for resistance the king always swore he hadn't an idea of it till mrs geen put it into his head the battery was never intended for more than show she's a wonderful woman he declared but he had a monstrous respect for all the lemmels blood in every one of em he said but of course the fun wasn't finished yet soon after seven and after the last of the cargo had been salved under their eyes the preventive men drew off by a quarter past eight wern had worked the cutter in as close as he dared and then opened fire with his guns the first shot struck the taty patch in front of carter's house the second plunked into the water not fifteen yards from the gun's muzzle in the swell running she could make no practice at all though she kept it up till midday the boys behind the battery ran out and cheered whenever one flew extra wide and this made wern mad will richards tummels and young Fobegeen posted themselves in shelter behind the captain's house and whenever a shot buried itself in the soft cliff one of them would run with a tubble and dig it out all this time uncle bill lego having finished loading up the kegs was carting water from the stream on the beach to the kitchen garden above the house and his old sister nan leading the horses for it was a two-horse job richards called to him to leave out it was too dangerous now there said uncle bill i've been thinking of nan and the hosses this brave while at noon wern ceased firing and sent off a boat towards penzance the cove boys still held the battery and the two parties had their dinners lit their pipes and studied each other all the long afternoon but towards five o'clock a riding company arrived to help the law and opened a musket fire on the rear of the battery from the hedge at the top of the hill the game was up now the boys scattered and took shelter in bessie bussow's house and captain john having hoisted a flag of truce waited for wern and his boat with all the calmness in life a pretty day's work this was the collector's first word as he stepped ashore amusin' from first to last agreed captain john in his cordial way says the collector slowly 
well tastes differ you may be right of course but we'll begin at the beginning and see how it works out first then at nine forty five last night you showed an unauthorized light for the purpose of cheating the revenue cost of that caper one hundred pounds be you talkin of the rockets course i be well then i didn't fire them nor any one belongin to the cove i didn't set any one to fire them and they weren't fired to warn anybody let alone i have proof they was sent up by a methody preacher to relieve his feelings you've known me too long Rogerburn, to think me fool enough to waste a whole future joy over so simple a business as warnin a boat what are you telling me the truth as i always do and i advise you to believe it or twon't be the first time you've seen too far into a brick wall were knew well enough what captain john meant just a year before he had paid a surprise visit to the cove ferreted out a locked shed and asked to be shown what was inside the king refused it held nothing he said but provisions for his brother henry's vessel of course wern couldn't believe this a locked store in prussia cove was much too sure a thing so first he argued and then he broke the door open and sure enough found innocent provisions inside just as he'd been promised next morning the shed was empty didn't i warny said john against breaking in that door and leaving my property exposed now i'll have to make you pay for it and pay for it weren't dead all i know the captain went on is that a methody preacher paid me a visit last night with the object so far as i can make out for things have been moving so fast i hadn't time to question him as i wished a teaching me what was due to king george in pursuance of which it being his majesty's birthday he took and fired a dozen rockets i keep on the off chance of wanting one of these days to signal the custom-house at penzance i own twas a funny thing to do but folks takes their patriotism different i dare say now you don't even remember twas his majesty's birthday Wern tried a fresh tack. "'We'll take that yarn later on,' he said. "'You can't deny a cargo was run this morning.' "'We'll allow it for the moment, but that only proves that no boat was warned away.' "'And when I sent a boat in to capture it, you deliberately opened fire. In other words, tried to murder me, His Majesty's representative.' "'Tried to murder you? Look here!' captain john stepped to one of his still-loaded guns and pointed it carefully at a plank floating out at the mouth of the cove a plank knocked by the cutter's guns out of uncle bill lego's taty patch and now drifting out to sea on the first of the ebb he pointed the gun carefully let fly and knocked the bit of wood to flinders that's what i do when i try he said why bless ye i was no more in earnest than you were this made wern blush for his marksmanship but you'll have to prove that he said why damn said john carter and fined himself another sixpence on the spot 
if you are so particular get out there in the boat again and i will well the upshot was that after some palaver weren't agreed to walk up to the captain's house and reckon the accounts between them he had missed a pretty haul and been openly defied on the other hand he hadn't a man hurt and he knew the king's government still owed john carter for a lugger he had lent two years before to chase a french privateer lying off ardevora carter had sent the lugger round at wern's particular request she was short-handed and after a running fight of three or four hours the frenchman put in a shot which sent her to the bottom and drowned fourteen hands for this as wern knew he had never received proper compensation i fancy the two came to an agreement to set one thing against another and call quits at any rate john was put to no further annoyance over that day's caper as for the preacher i'm told that no person in those parts ever set eyes on him again and anne geen drove home that evening with her phoby beside her i'm sorry to let ee go my son said john but twould never do for me to have your mother coming over here too often i've a great respect for all the lamals but on the female side they be too frolicsome for a steady-going trade like mine end of section nine